Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing problematic faves. Woo! Yay! I am my own problematic fave because I <laughs> am at a con and I went to bed at midnight and uh, I think I may have drunk uh, most of a bottle of wine. Oops. So. That's okay. That's what you do at cons. <laughs> yes, but... I was going to do that tonight, not the night before I had to do a podcast. So I'm sat in the committee room surrounded by piles and piles of con stuff. You also won an award. I did. I won the Ditmar, which is sort of the Australian Hugo Award for Best Fan Writer for my blogging about Star Trek at squidishly.net. Congratulations! Thank you, I'm so proud. There were only two people nominated. It was me and a gentleman who has been around for 50 years and done everything and written everything and I felt like a bit of an upstart. So I'm doubly pleased and surprised that I won. Nice. Awesome. So, problematic faves. Yes. I think we should start with discussing how we're defining it, at least for the purposes of this podcast episode for me it's anything that i love but feel if i if i want to share it with someone i feel compelled to add but and whether that's sometimes it's because a character is badly written or inconsistently written and sometimes it's because they're very very well written but they're also very bad people right you know the the online definition is a character person who's done or said something offensive and or holds offensive opinions or beliefs, which I think is a little too narrow for me. I was going to say it's almost too broad. Because <laughs> how, how do you define offensive? I guess you well, know yeah. it when you see it. Offensive is subjective. Mm, yes. And so, like, I think, as you said um, originally, my, as I, the way I say it simply is it's a favorite character in this case, who requires a kawaiat. Yes. Although that might be, you know, in, in that case, we'll just put it out there that I go on and on about how I love Jonathan Archer even though he's terrible. Yeah. So, and I don't necessarily consider him a problematic fave because I don't really think that's a problematic opinion in fandom circles. <laughs> No, no, he honestly doesn't seem like a terribly popular character. But when women like him, they're kind of like, I love my trash baby captain. Whereas when men love him, it's like, a real manly captain. Exactly. Uh, I I think it depends which area of fandom you're hanging out in. Mm. Not to paint all of female or male fandom with a broad brush, and I realise that's very binary, but, you know, as a generalisation. Right, you were just using it as shorthand, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then there's, like, because are villains automatically problematic or by default problematic, or are they exempt from being problematic because they're villains? Well, that's kind of something that Star Wars fandom is grappling with. And, you know, are you a bad person if you find Kylo Ren interesting? And does Kylo deserve a redemption arc the way Darth Vader had one? And, and I feel like... Um, fandom's whole take on that issue has gotten very black and white in the last 
few years, uh, except I would say except possibly in Deep Space Nine fandom, where I think Gul Dukat is a deeply terrible person who is also a very popular character. Really? I don't know anyone who likes Gul Dukat. I mean, like, <laughs> I think that people respect him as an amazing villain, but that doesn't mean that they can consider him a favorite character. You know what I mean? So maybe it's just me and my friend Jules. Who, yeah. <laughs> uh, oops. <laughs> anyway, it's okay. we love we love Gul Dukat, and you know, problematic ships. I really like his one-sided flirtation with Kira and I would love to see fic that explores that dynamic but I'm also really glad that the show didn't go there and and sometimes there are ideas which are perfectly great in fic or for fandom to explore and really beyond problematic and just straight up bad yeah I mean I consider this part of you know something that that fic is for almost is exploring those you know pulling at the threads of things that really don't belong in canon, that I don't actually want to see canonized. Yeah, yeah. But I want to explore. This idea fandom has these days that, you know, you should ship canon couples, and if the author says they don't ship it, then you shouldn't ship it, or it it doesn't count as a real pairing. I find that really strange and really sad, because the point of fandom is to tell the stories that canon can't or won't or shouldn't. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I don't understand that at all. It seems to me a, like anathema of, to what fan fiction is for, to me. I wonder if it's less common than it seems to us, but we just see a lot of it because it's people who say that get a lot of airplay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, it could be something that we encounter. Maybe because mm. we like these problematic <laughs> things. <laughs> people are always telling us to stop. At least that's how I feel sometimes. No, no, I remember you don't get a lot of that sort of scolding, finger-wagging in Star Trek fandom, but when Lorca was around, there was a lot of, how dare you be a Lorca fan? And how dare you, even before the reveal, how dare you ship Lorca with Michael? And it wasn't my primary OTP, but yeah, I was really interested in their dynamic, and it turns out I was meant to be interested in their dynamic. And... We're never going to get Prime Lorca back. And I'm still not okay with that, but I was really keen to see his dynamic with Prime Michael. And, you know, the age gap, the rank gap, the experience gap mm-hmm. makes that, uh, I guess, problematic, but it's the problem that I find interesting. I, I have said many times that I ship problematic. Yes. Uh, or I, I ship damage, I ship wrong. <laughs> like if if there's not something bad about the ship, I'm probably not that interested. Well, it's the tension between what they want to be and what they are that makes some pairings really, really fascinating. Exactly. So I am going through our show notes and I see that I never got around to making a list of my problematic faves. It's okay. But, uh, I'll be surprised just as much as the audience <laughs> will. It's great. I will also be surprised. Uh, <laughs> should we, like, alternate problematic faves? I'm going to start making a list while you talk about your first one. I put mine in order of how they, like, I started with TOS. Is that a good way of going? We, we, we can cut this part, but... <laughs> uh, Go with what your heart says. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so I'm going to start with 
someone that I absolutely love, but appears on a lot of lists that say, how dare you like this character? <laughs> yes. So in uh, this is in the original series, and it's Tanya Barrows in Shore Leave. Now, to begin with, Shore Leave is not a very popular episode. That's the one with uh, the planet that brings fantasies to life. And right. I believe there is an Alice in Wonderland scenario. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> is Which... the one where McCoy suddenly has two girls who are basically wearing triple bras? Yes, yes. Okay, Brightly cool, coloured cool. triple bras. Beautiful. And, uh, and Tanya Varos is McCoy's uh, love interest as much as anyone in one episode of one series can yes. be a love interest. And then at the end, he shows up with these two, you know, Las Vegas showgirls. So that's part of the problem with Tanya Barrows is uh, that, and she, you know, sort of looks at, looks at him sternly and he dismisses his girls and, and she goes over and takes his arm. And it's all very... 60s. Uh, yeah, it's all very 60s. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> she's, you know, she's slut-shaming, and there's a lot going on there. And then earlier in the episode, she says what her, you know, her fantasy is to be a fairy tale princess and have a white knight come and save her. And that is considered, you know, sort of backwards even for the 60s. <laughs> and uh, and then she gets this. She gets her. Uh, well, I guess it's uh, it's it's before she. That, the reason that she's explaining this, I need to be saved, is mm. um, that they this Don Juan character shows up and basically tries to assault her. <laughs> Oh. rips her her Starfleet uniform. So, you know, I've always said the only way I could cosplay as this character in a Starfleet uniform and have people understand who I am is if I ripped my Starfleet uniform <laughs> and was, you know, half-dressed and an assault mm. victim, which is not a great look for mm. fandom or cosplay. You know, it would be terrible at a, at a convention. That's, you know, any as much as they say... You know, you can't blame a woman for dressing, which I absolutely believe. If you dress as a rape victim, it doesn't help. No, and it's just kind of tacky. Yes, it's extremely tacky. It's basically, you know, putting it out there. I'm celebrating sexual assault. Yay! That's not... That's never what I want to be doing. No, so, no. But she does get a, a fairy tale princess dress. Which is all flowy and pretty, and and I could, you know, if I wanted to, I could cosplay that, but it wouldn't be necessarily Star Trek. And it's this whole, you know, backwards fairy tale princess, Disney ruined all women kind of, you know, uh, second grade level feminism discussion. Yeah, it it is probably more complicated than it's always argued. Absolutely, but still. But it is, I'm saying it's argued at the second grade level, not that it is, it, there's a lot of nuance involved, but it's seen as very black and white. So what I'm saying is that's why she's seen as this sort of not a great look for something that is supposed to be taking place in the 23rd century, you know, hmm. so many hundreds of years from now, why are we still at this, I want to be a princess, 
I want to be rescued. I'm assaulted and, and don't do anything about it. And then I am angry at my boyfriend uh, and, uh, and I put down these other women for, yeah. being, for being scantily clad. So, like, all of that all together is, ooh. Problematic. She is a, but not, you love yeah, her. Yeah, problematic. But I love her. She's, like, the, um, the actress, like, really brings a lot to this, you know, one-off role. She's very memorable to me. I love the idea. Like, she and McCoy are super cute. They have great chemistry. I want them to be a couple. I, you know, I'm just, mm. I'm, like, rooting for them. And I don't fault her for her fairy tale princess dream. She's in Starfleet, so she's not I mean she's, you know, she's a yeoman, so no one really knows what she does. <laughs> and but but she is in Starfleet. She does have yeah. a position. She does something on the ship. She had to go through the academy, you know. They like she's not a nothing, you know, she's not just I'm a child who wants to be a princess. She is something, and she also wants to be a princess. And as backwards as that may seem, I don't, like, I'm very pro-Disney princess. And I was going to say, you could think of Tonya as a woman with a job who likes to cosplay as a princess at conventions. Exactly, which is like me. So so that's why I yeah. like her. I, I, see, I see your love. I see yeah. the reason for your love. So, so while you were talking, I, I started making a list. I have three entities on it so far but my first problematic fave is one captain Catherine janeway oh <laughs> people are gonna send us hate mail <laughs> well it's funny i saw i saw a post on tumblr yesterday that was like i know it's not popular to say say this on this website but i really don't like Catherine janeway and i was like how dare you <laughs> get off my tumblr i i didn't i didn't even unfollow her because i feel like personal taste is completely allowed. She's allowed Absolutely. to have her opinion, her wrong opinion. My argument for why Janeway is problematic is partially the legendary complaint of inconsistent writing. And I don't think that Janeway is necessarily less consistent than Cisco or even Picard, certainly less, less inconsistent than Archer, but, uh, so many people were bringing competing ideas of what a woman in a leadership role should be, that there is that tension in her character, which I find really interesting. But also, sometimes she just makes terrible decisions and the show recognises them as terrible decisions. And here I'm thinking of Equinox and the torture of that poor crewman and um, relieving Chakotay of command when he calls her out for it. And, you know... As we've established from my rampant Cornwell fangirling, uh, a character doesn't have to make good decisions all the time for me to love her. Uh, I, I'm much more forgiving of women, of female characters, than men. Uh, and I like women who make complicated and not necessarily moral choices. And I just wish that Voyager had given Janeway the opportunity to live with that instead of just moving on to the next adventure. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know... Voyager is my problematic fave, obviously. <laughs> really Star Trek. Star Trek I mean, is my yeah. problematic fave. I mean, I agree with both of those things. Voyager <laughs> is very problematic. It has a lot mm. of problems. Star Trek in general, yes. Mm. But uh, Voyager, like, people say, how can you 
prefer Voyager to Deep Space Nine, and I say Deep Space Nine is too good. Yes. <laughs> so I like I like again I ship damage. I prefer messy shows. Yeah, yeah, and messy leaves cracks for us to slip in with our head cannon and our fic and all of that. Whereas, like when I watch Deep Space Nine. I, I certainly have headcanon, but it's mostly hilarious stuff about Ducat trolling Cisco with memes or vice versa. I, I don't need to connect the dots between characters and motivations and plots because the dots are already there. It's a great show. Whereas Voyager, and particularly Janeway, because she's essentially the lead, is um, much... <clears throat> Excuse me. It's like a patchwork quilt made of the scraps you found around the house rather than going out and fitting them and planning them. That's a, it's a good description. I, I'm working on a quilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just funny because her, you know, that novel, uh, the Jerry Taylor novel that we panned last episode, <laughs> um, is called Mosaic. And I think, you know, as an as a analogy for her life, and it's it's funny to think of a patchwork quilt that is made of patches. <laughs> like, I think that's actually great, and it's warm and it's more it's more useful than a mosaic, you know. And it sort of fits into Taylor's traditional upbringing ideas <laughs> yeah, and exactly yes yes <laughs> exactly, and all the other people in that writing room. <laughs> yeah, not just Taylor. She's just the one who wrote the damn book. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't call. Janeway problematic, me personally. I I agree that she makes questionable decisions sometimes, but she always, there's always a reason. I don't know, maybe it's just that uh, she's too prominent a character. I don't, I don't, like when you said uh, you forgive women more, I have no men on my list. (laughs) And I also have no main characters. So interesting. It's sort of like I give a pass to people who have so much of a, a, a tapestry of existence that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, it's, Janeway seems like she's a fully fledged person oh. that makes bad decisions sometimes. But, uh, but that, that's because she she made that decision. I don't know. It's like I can sort of, I can see the the reasons behind it, whereas poor Tanya, I have to make up why she has these, you know, I have to defend her. I feel like Janeway I don't have to defend because she defends herself. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Right. Uh, who is your next problematic fave? I'm going to do two at once. Yeah. Not um, because they have some things in common mm. they're both Vulcans Vulcan yeah. ladies I love all Vulcans just put that out there and their main flaw is that they are too caught up in their own drama to care about anyone else's well that's a very Vulcan trait really. it's a very Vulcan trait so I'm talking about T'Pring from Amok Time yeah who uh is betrothed to Spock and ends up getting Kirk and Spock in a knockdown drag out knife fight that ends in Kirk's 
presumed death. Yeah. So that's that's bad. Uh, and the second Vulcan lady is arguably more terrible <laughs> because it's Valeris, <laughs> who who co- conspires with uh, General Chang and Admiral Cartwright to assassinate more than one <laughs> Klingon Chancellor in order to end the peace talks between the uh, Klingon Empire and the Federation. <laughs> so that's treason, murder. That's bad. Bad things. So uh, so they're both very uh, insular. They believe that they are correct and that their way is the right way. Yeah. That they know better than everybody else. You know, Supreme is like, I don't want to be married to Spock. And so I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make that not happen. So I get out of it. And I don't really care if people literally die. <laughs> and uh, Valeris has, you know, convinced herself, that both of them have convinced themselves that this is the logical way. That yes. this, this is the logical decision. And uh, they are being completely correct in their logic and in their Vulcanness and in their philosophy and in their version of good. You know, Valeris yeah. thinks that she is saving the Federation. That's that's what she thinks that she's preserving what the Federation is by killing off the Klingon Chancellors and the idea of peace with the Klingons, of, of, of you know, the, I'm sure the goal is for the Klingons to be a part of the Federation. And she thinks that's a terrible idea. <laughs> So well, she's so not she entirely does, wrong. Just, she does whatever is necessary to stop that. No, I also love Valeris, and my my caveat with her is always the scene with the mind meld, and it's filmed in such a sexual manner, and it's her consent is very clearly not given, and it's just it's very problematic. Oh yeah, which no longer feels like a real word. But I love her as a character, and I think she's really interesting. And I love Spock's whole stream of young proteges. But uh, it, it's that particular scene that makes uh, it, it's well, that that particular scene makes Star Trek VI problematic for me. Yeah, yeah, it really. That, that's my my only caveat for the whole movie, which I love. I have a few others, but um, but that one is the main one. And, uh, but that movie is, you know, held up as, as one of the best. And it, as a film, it probably is one of the best. But I think that it takes some liberties mm. that I wish they, they wouldn't do. Yes. And that, and that scene is very, it's hard to watch sometimes. Yes. Especially because it's Spock and... Right. He... And you we don't want him. that character to be diminished by this act. But Yes. But and he... It's, you know, it was made at a time where they would be like, no, no, that's, that's a really cool thing to do. We love it. And so you look back now and go, guys, guys, why did you, did you have to do that? Really? Yeah. yeah. Bad form. Bad form. But that's the thing. Vulcans, Vulcans do that a lot. It's... it's like, it's not the first or last time Sadly, that, uh, no. that Vulcans 
cross boundaries. And, you know, I would say I love Vulcans. I love them, all of them. Every Vulcan character I've met, I love. And they are all problematic. Like, Vulcan culture, I have a lot of problems with. Is it too obvious, given our dedication to trolling Sarek, to say that Sarek is a problematic fave? I mean, I didn't, again, he didn't make my list because I felt like we talk about Sarek every week, so everybody knows that. Yeah, Um, Sarek's problems are discussed and also intentional. And I do think that, in some ways, the concept of the problematic fave doesn't necessarily work if the show is very much engaged with and grappling with the stuff that character does wrong. Uh, And I realise that I sort of said the opposite with regards to Janeway, but because Voyager never really gets to dwell on anything, that's where where that fell down for me. Right. So, yeah, I love him, but we we talk about Sarek enough. This is not a Sarek podcast. (laughs) It should be our... Tagline, not a Zarek podcast. No, that but would sound a, like but a suspicious, act, but actually a Zarek podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, who would you like to introduce? Oh, who is next on my list? Oh, yes, I, I mentioned him earlier, Gul Dukat. Uh, very much my favorite on Deep Space Nine, even though he is literally a genocidal rapist. But he's just, I've written here, but he's so charming and entertaining. <laughs> And I think, you know, I, I, I watch television to be entertained and sometimes that means being entertained by te- deeply terrible people. And, of course, the show is quite aware of how terrible he is. Uh, Gul Dukat sort of fell apart for me in the later seasons after Zial was fridged and he conveniently went TV crazy and um, transformed into a Bajoran and blah, 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 par rates and everything. But... In, in the early seasons where he ex- essentially exists to troll Cisco and Kira and Bajor, he's just so entertaining. And, and so he, he's a really well-written villain because he truly believes he is the hero. And I love that. I, that's the perfect kind of villain writing for me. But yeah, he is not a good person. And probably I enjoy him maybe a little more than I should. And also, there was a thing going around Reddit uh, when Discovery Season 2 was airing that's like, how dare they redeem Giorgio? She doesn't have the potential to be a good person like Gul Dukat was. She's a (laughs) genocidal monster. And and other people go, "Mm -hmm." so I have bad news for you about Gul Dukat. How do people miss that? I suspect that it's a lot of it's just selective memory. Like, Star Trek has been around for so many years and so many iterations, and most of the series have gone for seven seasons. There's just a lot to keep in mind. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I uh, just... I that's, just like... that's the charitable reading. The less it's... charitable reading is that he is a guy and therefore gets a pass. Yeah. I... Um... Mm. 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 I mean, I find Giorgio more redeemable than, than Goldicott. Oh, she, she absolutely like, is. wants to be better. Yeah, yeah. At, at she least part even... of her does, you know? And, and like, Goldicott, I, I agree. I think Goldicott is a, a fascinating character. I think he is great. He's a great villain. 
and also I agree with the very charming. It's a mm. it's a wonderful performance that he, he really pulls off. Like there are some scenes you said earlier about shipping him with Kira. Absolutely, mm. there are some scenes where I'm like, I can't believe I'm falling for this. I and yes. I have I have to remind myself that he's a genocidal maniac. Uh, me, you know, megalomaniac, terrible. Like there's no really good qualities there (laughs) but he's just so charming yes yes and his interactions with Kira are very very interesting and Nana Visitor plays it so well because her lack of interest is absolutely apparent but then they have this connection via Zial and they're sort of reluctantly co-parenting and I guess that's kind of my jam and like I said, yeah. I don't really ship it. I'm glad it didn't happen in canon. And I've never like, I've never actually gone out and looked for fic. I, j- I just like the idea that it's out there and I can find it when I want to read it. Um, I, you know, I also think that his characterization went sideways mm. after Ziel's death. And I would have preferred that she not die. If they, if they wanted to do a make Dukat a better person arc or even a make Dukat crazy but crazy in a way where he's questioning his identity and he's questioning who he is after being this terrible person for so long they should have kept her alive and had the relationship he had with Zial and with Kira co-parenting be Mm. the catalyst yeah, and just the stress of losing losing Deep Space Nine yeah. again and losing more of his status. And what if he had been straight-up exiled like Garrick was? And what if we had seen his wife and his family on Cardassia and had more of a sense of what he lost there? I just... Right. I'm never going to think that fridging a woman is an ideal narrative choice. No, me neither. <laughs> and it w- And I would have liked that story more Uh, you could have the same character beats he could even be you know not change (laughs) and stay villain Mm -hmm. and yet it would have been a more a more interesting way to do that even if there had been some prophet shenanigans in making him so-called crazy and i just i do not like I did not like that particular depiction of his mental illness. It was, um, I enjoyed the foreshadowing it offered for ba- um, Battlestar, but I, I, it was an episode that I did not like. Yeah. But yeah, Prophet shenanigans could have had him doubting existence and his purpose and all of that. And sure, it's a plot device, but so is Fridging Zial. Having said that, Ducat's relationship with Kai Wynn, like, Wynn deserved better, and I'm really sad that the series didn't end with her driving a sword through his back like Giorgio gets to do with Lorca, but... Uh, you can imagine it. Yeah, yeah, justice for Wynn, but at the same time I really enjoyed their relationship because she is another villain who thinks she's the hero. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that I, that was uh, um, that was a, a through line in Deep Space Nine. I think the villains who think they're heroes, and the heroes who think they're villains. Yes, yes, like uh, uh, Garrick 
and certainly Cisco at various low points in his life and career. And then you have Odo who, you know, Odo would never collaborate. Cut to Odo collaborating. <laughs> I think my frustration with Odo, and this is off topic, but my frustration with Odo as a character is that they never seemed to be as aware of his failings as, much as they were with other characters. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or maybe it was all intentional. I think that's giving... <laughs> too much credit? <laughs> yeah, a little, little, little too much credit there. I'm an optimist. But again, uh, Star Trek is problematic. Television is problematic. Mm. It's so mm. it's you know it's in the it's in the DNA I think of a television series and certainly of a fantasy television series. Yes, and if you want to consume unproblematic media, have a good time <laughs> good sitting luck. alone in a room all by yourself, and even that won't be problematic because you're a person. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so my next uh, character is also a Cardassian. Um, I know who it is. You know who it is. Everyone knows who it is. <laughs> so uh, Seska yes. is my favorite, you know, minor character of all. Yes. I just, she has so much potential and maybe 10% of it is used in the show, but... I, it's enough to to uh, you know make her one my my favorite lady. You know I again Deep Space Nine wasn't my series the way that Voyager was my series. Mm. So she is the Cardassian I think of when people say Cardassian, even though she was alone. You know she didn't have the whole rest of Cardassia, and she's in like seven episodes as opposed to the entire series of Deep Space Nine. And they're not even seven cons- consistently good episodes. Oh no, uh, I would say that poor Seska peaks uh, in like her third appearance and then has a whole arc where she is in the worst plot. Um, <laughs> but I love her anyway. And I admit that her plot is poorly written, it is poorly constructed, and it is, makes, it, you know, really takes a lot of, her character takes a lot of hits. Her, yeah. her character as a fictional character and her character as a person really are, are weighed down by this whole idea that she steals Chakotay's DNA to impregnate herself and use that that baby against both Chakotay and Majkala, the it, leader it's of the Kazan. Bitches be crazy yeah. sort of plot line, and I, <laughs> I don't understand. It is a bad, bad plot. I mean, it's like, why? She was a spy. She, she was a member of the Cardassian you know, spy guard, mm. what is it, the Obsidian Order, Yes. and yet her, like, her plan is to impregnate herself to hold that over to men, like, and especially when she acknowledges that her main 
the the person that she's actually like her arch enemy were she to have one her Cisco to uh, you know if she were to caught yes is Janeway and it's like why are you even bothering with these men <laughs> just go up against Janeway what I never understood <laughs> is why she stuck around with the Kazon after she left Voyager because they're deeply misogynistic and not that technologically advanced. And I don't understand why she didn't just use them as a stepping stone to making herself queen of a more powerful race and just yeah. upgrading constantly to get herself home faster. I feel like she could have killed off Kala and taken over that ship and, like, started a new sect of matriarchal Kazan. I am here for the radical feminist <laughs> like, Kazan. And then use that to, you know, you're right, exactly, like build an armada of Delta Quadrant people to go mm. up against the one Federation ship. <laughs> like, it just seems, you know, and she does, and then she does succeed. She is, she does steal Voyager from them, and that is almost immediately negated and erased and it turns out that the baby was never Chakotay's to begin with and like everything about basics part two is terrible everything (laughs) like Uh, I remember I remember scenes with Janeway's hair down (laughs) yeah and that is that is all (laughs) like the fact that uh Tom Paris like alone (laughs) Tom Paris in a shuttlecraft by himself is able to do exactly what Seska did and get an entire Delta Quadrant armada to to rescue Mm. them. Like, Mm. that's good for Tom. But, like, everything, like, Seska finds out that it's it's not Chakotay's baby, it's Kala's, and she has no, like, she's sort of like, oh, that's interesting. And it's just really, like, I really, I like that when Seska is dying, she crawls to the baby to sort of like she actually cared about the baby, not yes. not that it was Chicote's or that it was Kala's or that it was a tool that she was using. She actually cares about this baby. Like that was nice, but it was also like why? Like she didn't care up until now. So, <laughs> but I, you know, it's sort of like this nice character moment that is completely out of character. Yeah, and I can like I can make it. I have I you know I have my own head cannons as to why all this occurs. <laughs> And why she makes these choices. And it's like she, the Cardassians are also misogynistic. They're not great with women either. So no. maybe this is, she. maybe she is conditioned to believe that seduction is her best option. From what we, we, we see of Garrick, uh, seduction is definitely a tool wielded by the Obsidian Order. Was it you who suggested an alternate universe where Seska is on Deep Space Nine and Garrick is on Voyager? Yeah, it would be interesting, right? Well, I don't see Garrick sticking with the, the Kazon for very long. <laughs> no. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't... Garrick would probably stick with Voyager longer. Yeah, yeah, he knows um, but he which use, side his bread he is buttered on. them. Whereas Seska is... Jo- and I think that it's part... It's, what's so interesting is that Seska needs to get like she's like I can't I can't work under these Federation rules like she is just so like that's another thing about Garrick is that he's sort of given up on the Cardassians whereas Seska really believes in that Cardassian like the the Cardassian supremacy 
she firmly believes in that and Mm -hmm. she is you know going to move it forward as much as she can in in the delta quadrant and she's like she's stuck with these federation losers that she was raised and trained to consider inferior to consider weak to consider wrong you know that that everything that they do peace is a weakness love is a weakness so she's going crazy by staying on voyager and that's really interesting it's just that she gets stuck with the kazan who are just not worthy of her yeah yeah just the writing lets her down at every instance and Uh, then she dies (sighs) but she comes back in holographic form which is great and worst case scenario is the only good holodeck episode yeah, I, I said that on Twitter. I mean, I, I didn't say it was the only good, but I listed it yeah, as one was... of my favorite <laughs> holodeck episodes because it adds absolutely... I mean, I love... Worst Case Scenario is so amazing because it's Tuvok's fan fiction. And you find out that Tuvok is, is secretly writing really unflattering fiction about his co-workers. It's so good! Like, I, know, I know we get that plotline with the Doctor later on, but I wish, it, wish we had re- revisited it with Tuvok. Um, and she also comes back in Shattered. Oh, yes! Yeah. It's, it's like they know. They know that Seska is amazing and that she was best when she was a secret spy in Voyager as opposed to stuck in the Kazan baby plot. <laughs> the, writers, the writers agree with me for once. I think they knew. They must have realised right away that it was a mistake to have the baby plot because there was no intention of keeping the baby around. And, you know, right. I, I, I don't understand why they thought it was a good idea in the first place. Because to me, it is clearly and obviously a terrible idea. But, you know... Yeah, they, yeah. They, could have just, they could have just kidnapped a person. Like, you didn't have to use the baby against Voyager. They could have stolen Harry Kim. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> just oh, saying. Oh. That, my heart just... You know, you know how in the, the pilot of... Firefly, Kaylee is injured, and everybody cares, even though the people who've known her for like 10 minutes start, and the audience, everyone's like, Kaylee! Like, that, yeah. that's, that's the feeling it would be if Harry was, if Harry was kidnapped. Everybody on the ship would be like, we have to save Harry! <laughs> uh, because I'm in the committee room, people are starting to uh, come in and out, so don't apologise. I took over this room knowing it would happen. So is it possible to wrap up a bit early? Perhaps sure. we can list more of our problematic faves on Twitter when we drop this episode. Absolutely. And we can leave like problematic relationships for a whole separate episode. Oh my God, yes. Because I was looking at your OTPs uh, and I'm like, I ship every single one of them. <laughs> mm, and, uh, mostly. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my Lorca Burnham shipping is deeply problematic oh. yeah I, I was right there with you they had a name they had a tag yeah they did uss archangel what were they thinking in season two <laughs> i just i want to buy drinks for the writers and go so so tell me tell me what was going through your heads please i won't tell the internet much <laughs> Which brings us back to our my original point, Star Trek, my problematic fave. <laughs> All right, do you want me to do the the outro? I, I'm just looking at your list again. Yeah. I feel like 
we had the same person on our list and it was Laurel mm. who so I think what makes Laurel problematic is the sexual assault plot line yeah. and as much as the writers made a good faith effort to address that it just never quite came yeah and I also feel like there <laughs> I really see that whole thing as something the writers just didn't realize yeah it was and going to did, be read the way that like they thought that once it's revealed that he's actually Valk, it'll all be okay and it's like uh no actually that didn't fix it yeah and so i really do applaud the writers for trying to address it and i feel yeah, quite bad for mary chifo who also was kind of blindsided by that reaction and i think she handled it beautifully especially since she seems very identified with Laurel but uh yeah and otherwise I think there are always issues with how a character is written and I don't think that I would have gone with the whole mother identification but that's purely my personal taste I love Laurel I think she's a really interesting character and I do think it says a lot that they tried to address the subtext when they were made aware of it yeah yeah it's uh, it's more than others have done Exactly, exactly. And I think even just a few years ago, a showrunner would have gone, well, you're just interrogating the text from the wrong perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, I just, I will always love Laurel. She, she's just so interesting. She's so uh, eager, earnest. Yes. That's the right word. She's so earnest in everything she does. And so much of it is really terrible but she's just doing the best she can with what she's got yes and you know she's young and yeah. we're never told exactly how young she is but um she's not very experienced she's not educated particularly in direct politics and yeah she's basically been radicalized by this messiah figure Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what she's I say trying. about about Valeris as well. Is that she's so yes. young? When you really think about it, she's so young, and and the people, the other people she's with are significantly older. Yes, and I don't think people realize what that means. <laughs> no, and looking back, you wonder if she was deliberately targeted as Spock's protege, absolutely, and groomed for this role. And to me, that, that suggests that there is room for rehabilitation there. Exactly. Where's our Valera series? God Ooh. damn it. Even, as I just you know, I want to see her trial. I want to see, like, her in prison therapy sessions. Like, I just, <laughs> I, you know, her, her probation hearing after however many years or whatever. Like, just, whew, I have so much to... Think about Valeris and and uh, and Lorel is another one where it's just like I want more. Mm. I want to see her grapple with her, you know, her next adventure. Yeah, uh, I think. Damn it! Why don't they hire us to write to write their <laughs> tie-ins? You know, because I don't think this needs to be a series or anything, but a tie-in would be nice. Yeah, a tie-in. Yeah. Dear Kristen Byer, hey, <laughs> what you up to? We have an idea. <laughs> okay, 
outro time before Belle politely and apologetically murders me. I just need to know what our next topic is. Oh! <laughs> um, I was going to say, now that Continuum is out of the way and I'm about to have some free time again, do you think it's worth doing the tie-ins that made us? Yes. I yes. think that's great. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And we love new listeners and old listeners. And join we us love in... love listeners. <laughs> we love all of you. <laughs> and join us in two weeks for a discussion of the tie-in fiction of our formative years. Those tie-in novels that made us who we are today. Or at least may, may have made us... I don't... I'm, I'm going to cut